The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, a new call from senators who say pandemic relief benefits must not be allowed to expire. We'll hear from the leader of a new effort in Congress, Virginia Democrat Mark Warner. If there's one thing I'm hearing uniformly is Congress do not leave town for the holidays, leaving the country and the economy adrift. How, when, and who do you Zoom? The CFO of the video conference company says, whatever you're doing, Zoom's got you covered, and they're not going anywhere. We really believe that these remote work trends that started pre-pandemic are going to continue in a post-COVID era. Plus, has the pandemic pushed you to new exercise? Brooks running CEO on a surprising boom for business. Through it all, we've added 1.5 million new runners this year. So it's clear people are running. It's a tailor-made activity for the pandemic. It's Tuesday, December 1st, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. Never too early for Christmas music. Here we go, December 1st. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin, and we are ready to go this morning. Are you sure it's never too early? Hey, that's just a blanket statement for Christmas music. Never, never no, too no, early. No, never no, 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 it's not. I, no, we've been listening to it. Our four-year-old loves Christmas carols, so we've been listening to them for probably a month at this point. I'm just glad the rest of you get to feel my pain at this point. Oh, to feel your pain. So when you say, see, I think it's always too early. I don't know. I've been hearing it. Uh, when it's prior to Thanksgiving, it's like, come on, come on. Uh, anyway, I just heard you say that. And I, was I woke like, up singing the dreidel sure song this morning because that's on Sesame Street, too. Dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. I woke up singing that this morning. All right. It's, so you, you, Sesame Street's on. still in your life. Don't that's be nice. a Grinch. It's that's the nice. holiday spirit. I like dreidel, Sesame Bagels. We like uh, holiday songs. Wait till it's stuck in your head on a running anyway. soundtrack, too. We we were listening to a little uh, during the, the, the when we were away for Thanksgiving. We didn't have Sirius XM in this rental car. So uh, anyway, uh, in Washington, so we were playing and it was Christmas music. And I said, no, 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 no. And they said, yes, yes. And so it was a yes. First up today on the podcast, pandemic relief is set to expire for millions of unemployed Americans at the end of the year. As we on Squawk Box and many others have talked about, Congress has not agreed on further stimulus steps to shore up workers struggling due to the pandemic in months. And today, a bipartisan group of senators are looking to break the stalemate. Here's Joe. Ilan Mui uh, joins us uh, with the latest and maybe her rendition of, uh, of a Christmas carol. I don't know. Ilan, it's up to you. Um, well, I do love the Christmas season, Joe. And what Democrats are doing right now is trying to make the Christmas season a little bit more merry for unemployed workers. There is interest on both sides of the aisle in breaking this logjam on Capitol Hill surrounding another coronavirus relief package. And today, more than 30 Democrats are getting behind a new push to extend expiring unemployment benefits for 12 million workers before they go away at the end of the year. Virginia Senator Mark Warner is leading this effort with a letter to the leadership of both parties that says that letting these payments lapse during the holiday season would be cruel and that it would hit the services sector and the arts especially hard. The letter says, 
These workers are all facing job loss that has nothing to do with their skills, abilities, or performance. Now, there have been some preliminary conversations in the Senate on bipartisan measures that might be able to pass alongside the government funding bill next week. And so this letter is just one indication that Democrats appear to be coalescing around the problem of what they're calling the benefits cliff. Also today, Senators Ron Wyden and Sherrod Brown, the top Democrats on the finance and banking committees, as well as Colorado Senator Michael Bennett, they're unveiling a bill that would extend these expiring provisions. And it would also reinstate that $600 in enhanced unemployment benefits that has been more controversial and has been one of the sticking points in these broader negotiations. So guys, this could be a sign that Democrats might be willing to accept something smaller than that $2 trillion deal. Back over to you. All right, Elon. So it, it, send me some some of your uh, your most important points uh, to make with uh, Senator Warner. OK. And, and uh, what, what would you what do you need to know right now? Just uh, having uh, been working on this story for overnight, probably you didn't sleep. But what, what should we talk about? Yeah, well, I think what's really important is, one, the economic impact of having these unemployment benefits expire. Um, two, is this a real deadline? We've seen deadlines come and go on Capitol Hill in the past. We thought there was a deadline around the expiration of the enhanced unemployment benefits. That didn't spur Congress to act. What's different this time in order to, to get them to do it? Um, economists are saying that this, uh, the ending of these benefits would be particularly painful. So, is that it? Is it the government funding bill that's going on? And I also think the other question here is that, you know, is this the case of Democrats saying we're not going to get the HEROES Act? You know, we're not going to get the bill that they've been trying to hammer through um, the Senate and hammer Republicans with for however many months now. Is it time to just settle for one, two, three, maybe four at most provisions that could provide some relief uh, to Americans as they wait for the next administration to take office. Is that going to be the strategy now as we come into the final weeks of the year? The election being over and now we can do a smaller deal and uh, that, that, that doesn't go into the thinking. Anyway, I think Becky has a, 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 a question or comment. No, actually a question. Um, Elon, just if that's the case, if there are three or four things, four tops that they might be able to settle on, what are the other issues that, that have bipartisan support? We hear about so many things from the bill to, to help the airline workers, um, to the PPP money getting passed, to the need for, for money for schools, uh, to make sure that they can stay open or reopen, um, or, or stuff for testing, too. Like, it seems like there's a lot of priorities that, that could get bipartisan support. Right. And, that, and that's been part of the challenge of this. You know, the things that I'm hearing people talk about is reauthorizing PPP, um, perhaps some money for a vaccine distribution, because that is now thankfully becoming more of a reality. I think that the challenge has been balancing it. You don't want to do politically too many things to help businesses if you don't, on the flip side, do something to help the workers. And then, of course, if you cut out the state and local aid and just have perhaps a business provision and a worker provision, that becomes more of an equivalent trade that could uh, win support on both sides of the aisle. This is all sort of nation speculation. This is clearly still a long shot of getting something done by December 11th when the government runs out of money. But that does provide the vehicle and some momentum for having a few provisions ride on that larger spending bill. All right, Elon, thank you. Let's bring in Virginia Senator Mark Warner. As Elon said, he's spearheading uh, this new push for extended unemployment benefits. And I know you want to focus on this uh, today, Senator, as we're in this uh, 
in this period, uh, but, but between uh, the last administration and the new administration, but maybe tying it to uh, to funding will will actually get something done. What by December 11th? That's the plan. Well, the plan is let's break it into two chunks. One, the extension of the unemployment. Um, as a matter of fact, there are more people on either the extended unemployment or the unemployment that covered gig workers, independent contractors, um, a whole lot of folks that have been affected by COVID that are not covered by traditional unemployment. We started this in a broad bipartisan way in March. We think we ought to not be leaving these folks in the lurch literally the day after Christmas when some of these benefits start to expire, particularly when we've seen this second wave of COVID. Um, I actually do think there's a lot of bipartisan support for the unemployment extension. And then, as was mentioned, there have been a group of us, uh, I've been working on the Senate side with a group bipartisan that says, hey, you know, we will look, uh, it'll be, I call it stupidity on steroids. If we allow uh, this additional package, whether it's around unemployment, support for small business, vaccine distribution, a series of other areas that need to be in an interim package, a short-term emergency package to bridge us from now until the next administration. Right. Do you feel now that the election's over that, that there may be some traction here? What, what, how do you handicap it, Senator, at this point, realistically? Well, you know, we're not going to do what the Democrats were looking for in terms of $2 trillion. I don't think there's any appetite for the kind of Republican-only $500 billion that, frankly, with some of the monies that are now available um, from the Secretary Mnuchin sweeping all those 13-3 programs back in, would literally have no additional funding. So somewhere there's a bid and an ask here, and there's a group of us, and I'm not going to get into the details right now until our announcement at 10 o'clock this morning, but a group of, a group of us who've been working for the last couple of weeks daily on this are going to put forward our best effort. And hopefully there will be other like-minded folks uh, that will join that. If there's one thing I'm hearing uniformly is Congress do not leave town for the holidays, leaving the country and the economy adrift with all of these initial CARES programs running out. Senator, uh, we, I always like having you on and we always introduce you as a moderate. And, and I guess that, that's pretty close, although then I always get Twitter mail that says you, you vote 99 percent uh, with, with, you know, with Democrat or with the liberal side of things. So they always push back on it. But I'm going to just assume that you, you are a moderate. So we had uh, someone on yesterday make the point that maybe President-elect Biden wouldn't be that disappointed if there was a divided government, if the Senate, if Georgia were not to, uh, you know, if, if David Perdue is uh, reelected. Because if that were to happen, he, he doesn't need to appease some of the, the far left elements of the Democratic Party. And, and uh, you know, he, he does need, you know, he owes them. And I think he feels that. And, and with some of his appointments, I think uh, you're seeing that. But is there some truth to that? And, and for you, would you would you like to take the, the, the Senate as far left as some of uh, members of your party would like? I think folks know my record. Uh, they know my background as a business guy. They know I can read a balance sheet. Um, I tell you this, I'd love to be chairman of the Intelligence Committee, uh, where I think uh, with our nation under assault, that will only take place if uh, we pick up both those seats. I think, um, frankly, seeing how hard this has been the last couple of weeks 
to get to this bipartisan compromise today. That's going to happen whether the Senate is 50-50, whether it's 52-48 Republican, 51-49 Republican. It's going to require those of us in the middle who want to work in goodwill with our bipartisan colleagues. Uh, we're going to be in the middle of a lot of things. Right. Hey, Senator, I, I'm, I'm just thinking uh, about what I saw Joe Manchin uh, say. Senator Manchin said he wouldn't try to expand the court. He wouldn't try to get rid of the filibuster. I don't know if he'd add uh, more states. I don't know if, if he would. I, I mean, there's there's a lot of things that, that have been proposed. Would you say right here and now that, that you would not vote for expanding the Supreme Court? I've said early on that major rule changes before we see if we could give our Republican colleagues to act in good faith wouldn't make sense to me. I'm not, again, what I, the flip side though, is we talk about moderation and talk about moderation. What, what is not moderation is and a Republican leadership that says their sole goal is to make a Joe Biden an unsuccessful president. That is not a moderate approach. That is not a kind of let's come and reason together approach. And again, that's why I'm hoping you know, the template that we might be outlining this morning might be a path forward, not just on this COVID relief package, but on a variety of bills. Senator, wanted to also ask you to weigh in on Neera Tandon. Uh, there seems to be a, a large debate going on in the Democratic Party and the Republican Party uh, about uh, her nomination uh, to run OMB. Uh, you have the, the, the Bernie Sanders wing of the party effectively saying that uh, Biden is... Uh, uh, you know, almost, you know, flaunting it. I mean, it's sort of sort of going going at them because 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 of uh, uh, the, the, the terrible relationship that seems to have existed. And then you have Rob Portman. I'm reading this in The Washington Post. It says the concerns I have is both judgment based on the tweets I've been shown just in the last 24 hours. And it's the partisan nature uh, that could be said of somebody else uh, in office. But uh, but nonetheless, where do you well, stand? Let me, let me respond. Three things. Number one, if a nominee is taking incoming from the left and the right, um, I don't find that as a critique. I find that as potentially reaffirming. Number two, I think it's um, pretty rich to hear anyone complain about anybody in public life uh, tweeting too much. Uh, particularly, I, Rob's a great friend, but any of my Republican colleagues that uh, condemn someone out of hand based on their tweetage ought to look in the mirror first. And finally, I know a narrative. I don't agree with her on everything. She's lived a, an American dream life. She's South Asian. She was lived in with a single mom and actually live and benefit from some of the programs that OMB, Bennett, um, OMB administers. She's whip smart and um, brings a great deal of experience uh, to the position. So um, uh, I find her extraordinarily well qualified and uh, you know, look forward to her making her case. Very good. All right, uh, Senator, we shall uh, we shall see. Um, All right. We've got a couple of the other a uh, uh, couple of the other appointments, obviously, and uh, uh, you know you're gonna you're gonna get this. Obviously, I'm gonna. I don't tweet that much. I may tweet something out right now about this, uh, Senator. If I tweet and include you, will, will you like my tweet? <laughs> you know what? I try to. I, I tweet some too, but more secondhand. So um, I try to stay off reading the Twitter. At, following because uh, uh I, i'm not sure that's representative <laughs> of anything i'm afraid to do that i'm afraid to retweet you know if you retweet yeah. you're, it's going to be somebody that 
that did something and it's like, oh my God, then you own it. Yeah. It's, the whole thing is just yeah, uh, no, I, I, it's scary. I Any, <laughs> as, a, as somebody who was a technology guy longer than I've been in politics, there's some good side to this, but there's definitely some downside. All right. All right, Senator, I'll see you on Parlor. How about that? Thanks. See you later. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Coming up, talking a pandemic staple with Zoom's chief financial officer. The competitive advantage that we see for Zoom is the ease of use and the reliability of our platform. Squawk Pod is back after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick and Andrew Hello. Ross Sorkin. U.S. equity futures are uh, bouncing back. What, what's that? That? You whistling, you weirdo? Any... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I can't help it on that. Uh, <laughs> I, that music gets me going so much like that when the crescendo at the end where it goes dun 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 you remember uh, in broadcast news that they did that, that broadcast big, news, uh, remember yes. the song? Da, 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 da. Big stinger. Yeah, yeah. It was a blockbuster quarter for Zoom. The company reporting sales and profit well above what the street was expecting. And the company gave some strong fourth quarter guidance as well as people continue to work and learn from home. But costs are rising and that eats into the gross margins. That drop in the gross margin contributed to a big drop for the shares after the bell yesterday. In fact, this morning, the stock is indicated down by about 7.6%. Joining us right now, first on CNBC, is Zoom CFO Kelly Steckelberg. And Kelly, thanks for being with us this morning. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Obviously, you had great numbers across the board when you look at things like revenue and adjusted earnings per share. But it was the gross margin that analysts have been kind of pointing to and saying that they're concerned about that. I think the number dropped to 66.7% versus the 72% that the analyst consensus estimate was. And it was below the 80% you all were averaging before the pandemic. I, I think the big issue is there are a lot of people who are using Zoom, but a lot of people who are freeloaders who are kind of glomming onto the service. And you guys have to provide a service for all of those people who aren't even paying. How, how do you kind of handle that? How do you deal with it? Well, during this pandemic and time of disruption, we feel really strongly about doing everything we can to keep people connected. And we have over 125,000 K-12 educational institutions around the globe that are currently using Zoom for free. And we did see an increase in usage in September as you know, millions of students and teachers went back to school virtually. We also are happy to provide our service for free, too. We do have many free hosts, as you indicated. We also do things like on Thanksgiving, we turned off the 40-minute limit to allow families everywhere to stay connected. And yes, there are costs associated with that, but we absolutely believe it's the right thing to do. And for the long-term minimizing disruption that we're all feeling during this pandemic is our goal. You did mention last night on the call that you're expecting the gross margin to be reflective of what it was in the third quarter, at least in the early part of next year. When, when do you think you can improve on that gross margin and get it maybe back to levels that you've seen in the past? 
Well, so the impact of the gross margin is a combination, as we just talked about, of free users, and we are absolutely committed to continuing to supporting schools and free users during this pandemic, which, you know, is difficult to predict, obviously. And then the other aspect of the impact of the gross margin is due to our increased usage of public cloud providers. So historically, we ran most of our traffic through our own servers and our own um, co-located data centers, and we've had to increase this capacity very quickly. And to do that, we've partnered with some great, great public cloud providers, which comes at a little different um, level of cost. And so we are working on building out our own data center infrastructure, but that is a multi-year project. And that's why we indicated that we should, everybody should expect to see these gross margin levels continue for the foreseeable future. Kelly, I know you had some big new customers that you signed and, and, and got additional services that you're providing to, like Peloton and Rakuten, during the quarter. But there has been a little bit of concern that the, the biggest customers, those who are out there paying the biggest bucks, have really been monopolized by, to a big extent by both Cisco and Microsoft. How do you go after some of those big ticket, big customers who would be willing to pay a lot of money for your services? You know, the, the competitive advantage that we see for Zoom is the ease of use and the reliability of our platform. And we hear from our users and customers every day that that's what attracts them as we're delivering happiness to them. And we have, our, we're very privileged to have actually some of the Fortune 10 names in our customer base. And we continue to see customers like that and prospects like that coming to us because of the value that they see, not only our meetings platform, but also in things like Zoom Phone. We were super excited that both Rakuten and Peloton um, extended their relationship with Zoom by buying Zoom Phone. So we're very excited about the prospects ahead and continue to make progress across all aspects of our segments from small business up to enterprise. Kelly, can you just speak a little bit to how you think about this being a B2B franchise and enterprise business versus a, a B2C business, given the number of, of consumers you talked about Thanksgiving that are, that are using the product and how you, how you plan to potentially monetize them in the future. I think that there's a lot of investors out there that think that you could be overlaying an e-commerce platform effectively on top of your own platform, such that if you wanted to get gym instruction, you could actually do that commerce right on the platform. There's questions about premium tier products for virtual conferences for enterprises. Um, there's questions about using it for broadcast. Uh, CNBC, so many networks use it for broadcast, but there's productizing elements that need to be innovated to actually make it work. And there's clearly a demand out there and, and, and potentially businesses that would pay for that. But at the moment, it seems that most of the focus is either on the, the classic enterprise or just building out the continued infrastructure to support what you have. Yeah, it's been really exciting during this pandemic to see all the many creative ways that customers and individuals are using our platform. And as you mentioned, we've seen a significant growth in the customer base with fewer than 10 employees. If you back up to Q4 of last year, about 20% of our revenue was coming from that segment of customers. And we announced last night that it's up to 38% of our revenue. And we're excited at Zoomtopia in October, we announced on Zoom, which is a platform for hosting events ranging from lessons to concerts, and it's going to be a great way to start to bring these small um, you know, businesses, connect them more seamlessly with their customer base, and also to host, as you indicated, enterprise events. So we're really excited about that. And yes, we, we are seeing things like people using it for broadcasts, all the way from meetings to lessons to keeping families connected. So that's been really exciting to see how everybody has embraced that. 
Kelly, have you been surprised by the stock reaction? I know it's not something you can control, but the stock off 7.5%, even though you put up better than expected numbers on most metrics. You know, I, we all hope, like everyone does, that we have a vaccine as soon as possible to minimize the disruption we're all feeling from this pandemic. Um, and I think that's what, when there's news about vaccine, we obviously see that reflected in the stock. And we are committed to continuing to innovating and providing the best platform for all of our customers and, and potential prospects out there from enterprises to consumers. And we really believe that these remote work trends that started pre-pandemic are going to continue in a post-COVID era that we're all hoping for to be here soon. And Zoom is here to support people working from wherever they choose. And as we move to a more hybrid approach, we'll be there to support that. Kelly, thank you very much. It's good to see you. Great. Thanks for having me. Next on Squawk Pod, Brooks running CEO Jim Weber on business during COVID and a healthier consumer. This running phenomenon is driven by people who are investing in themselves. It's, it's physical health. It's mental health. We'll be right back. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Becky Quick. Well, 2020 has offered us plenty of surprises, including a boom for running. Brooks Running, the maker of specialty running shoes, is expecting 27% growth for the year, even with so many retailers closed earlier this year. Jim Weber is the CEO of Brooks Running. That's a wholly owned subsidiary of Berkshire Hathaway. And, and Jim, it's good to see you. It's great to see you. Thanks for having me this morning. So it's been a big year. That up 27% doesn't even explain the huge growth that you've seen, I think, in the more recent quarters. What happened? You know, it was incredible. The entire um, retail category froze and running was a part of that. And with all the retail stores closed in Europe and the US, it, it was fascinating. But six weeks into it, we saw demand starting to hit on digital. Digital was 35% of our revenue in, in 2019. It, it went to 82% uh, in those peak months where the retail stores were closed. But through it all, we've added 1.5 million new runners this year. So it's clear people are running. It's, it's a tailor-made activity for the pandemic. Yeah, I get it. You got to get out and get away. There's nothing else that you can do. You can't work out in a gym, so you got to get out and hit the road. So, w what do you do now, Jim? It, it, are you still seeing those kinds of growth levels, or has it did it tailor off at some point in the year and then pick back up as as some restrictions came back in? 
You know, actually, we have we have seen the demand just move from channel to channel, and we're a multi-channel brand. We think in running, if you want to be the number one brand for people that run, you've got to be multi-channel driven. It's not direct only, but because we were able to flex and sell direct when the runner was there, it came back. Retail is now um, back to over almost 60% of, of the overall volume. So our ability to flex was key, but then this this running phenomenon is driven by people who are investing in themselves. It's, it's physical health, it's mental health, it's getting fresh air and outdoors. And running is so accessible, so convenient, so affordable that we think it's going to stick. And and we believe we're, we're really at the beginning of a new running boom. When the sport comes back, when the events come back, it's going to turbocharge, um, we think, people that are in our sport. I know you have a lab that, that tracks consumer insights and, and checks out what what, uh, what people are most interested in, how their tastes have changed. What, what have you learned during this pandemic from those insights? It's been critical for us because when retail shut down, all of our retail signals were gone. And so we started really following runners around. We were doing we were doing runner counts at parks in dozens of cities across the U.S. and, of course, a lot of focus groups and the like. And what we've seen is more and more people are, are connecting into this lifestyle because it feeds them. It makes their day better and it gets them outdoors. So, again, that phenomenon, I think that type of runner that's running for those reasons is up 20 percent from what we would have seen last year. We've lost um, what we would call goal seekers. There's no races other than virtual, um, and those are meaningful, but it's not quite the same, um, that people can connect with their friends on and, and, and set a goal for a 5K or a marathon and, and train for it. So without that, we're seeing you know, people literally going out their back door to get a break in the day. So, Jim, how did you find all these new runners? Did you advertise? Did you seek them out, or did they just find you? You know, I think the key for us is it obviously always starts with, with great product, and we've got a lot of fabulous product stories we're telling right now. But we've been working for years to create a digital ecosystem that, you know, meets runners in, in the digital realm. You know, we, we are always been a grassroots company, but that doesn't happen the same way during a pandemic. So the digital connection is people are searching for gear on the, on the web. You know, we've always been lit up there, and that's been key because we're present as they're shopping. And then when they buy, they, we believe they're going to buy everywhere. Running is a local phenomenon, ultimately. So the local retail stores, we think, are a key part of it. And, and that's why I think people in the direct game for some categories like run miss a little bit. If you want to reach all runners, that multi-channel mode is critical. And our agility in being able to address where the demand is with inventory has just been a critical part of our success this year. How, how are the local retailers doing? I mean, those are generally smaller operations, sometimes one store, sometimes just a few stores. Have they really, from what I hear in New Jersey, it's an incredible number of small businesses that have closed. How are those retailers doing? Yeah, it's, it's, there's no question it's been the most difficult year for many of us um, to date. And so what we've seen, though, is that many of them have been incredibly resilient. They're entrepreneurs and they're scrappy. So when the stores closed, we went and supported them on curbside pickup, ship to home, same day shipping. Um, they've gotten very resourceful. Yet again, you know, the sports shut down cross country at high school and and a lot of the clubs and, and the races. So that's hurt them. But most of them are actually holding their own. We feel very fortunate because it starts with people running and they need gear. So, so we're fortunate in that regard. But I, it's been impressive to us. Many of the stores are flat to up 
over last year through all of this. And again, it's been an incredible effort, stressful, but um, the key is our customers still there. And so the retailers have held their own. It's been impressive. So your revenue up 27% for this year. Can you repeat that next year if you think you're going to hold on to these customers? <laughs> I'm not sure we'll, we'll get that high, but we're projecting growth next year. Absolutely. We're, we're projecting double-digit growth next year. You know, we were up 49% in Q3. We're projecting about just under 30% for the year. That's a big year for us, and a lot of it's market share. But, of course, um, it's, it's, it's gains in participation, too. We do expect to grow double-digit next year. We think we're at the beginning of a fantastic trend in running, and, and Brooks is really well-positioned for it. Um, we think when the sport comes back from the Olympics to the road races, it's going to turbocharge the growth we're seeing right now. Well, Jim, thank you for your time today. It's always good seeing you. Thanks for having me. Take care. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern and subscribe to Squawk Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen. Find us on Twitter at Squawk CNBC. I don't tweet that much. I may tweet something out right now. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.